Most of you know that the Bible is the best-selling book in the world, or it has been at least, and it's been translated into more than 3,200 of the world's languages, at least parts of it. When 636 languages have a full translation available. That's according to Wycliffe Global Alliance. What would the world be like if we didn't have the Holy Bible? If you've been reading uh, Dr. Meredith's series in the World Tomorrow, Tomorrow's World, <laughs> sorry to say, Plain Truth Magazine, Tomorrow's World Magazine, uh, you understand what the world would, would, would be like without the Bible because in the 14th and 15th centuries, uh, beginning in the 16th century, uh, the Bible was not available to common people in their common languages. It was the priesthood and the, uh, the, the ministry that had copies of the Bible, but the common people did not. So the first translation into English was by John Wycliffe, and uh, that was from the Latin Vulgate. That was back in the 14th century. But he died in 1384 and was later designated as a heretic in 1415 because the Roman church did not want the Bible translated into English. So even years after his death, they exhumed his body, burned his bones, and spread the ashes on the River Swift in 1428. Why? Because he translated the Bible into English. After the Gutenberg Bible was printed in 1454, and that was in Latin, not in English, William Tyndale translated the New Testament Greek text and was first to print the New Testament in English in 1525. He was persecuted in England. He fled to Germany. And with the printing press, about 15,000 copies were printed. And many of them were smuggled back into England in cargo and merchandise. But Sidney Collette, all about the Bible, says this, writes this. On October 6, 1536, Tyndale was strangled and then burned at the stake. His last words were, Lord, open the king of England's eyes. What would the world be like without the Bible? We uh, only have to take a look at what's going on in the world today, and we see that there are many Bibles, but people are rejecting the Bible. Let's turn to Proverbs 29, verse 18, a scripture with which you're very familiar. But it gives the emphasis and a real fact of life that tells us why the world is the way it is. Proverbs 29, verse 18. In the King James Version, it says, where there is no vision, the people perish. But here it is, where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. That means when there's no revelation from God available, or people rejecting it, they cast off restraint. There are no guidelines, no more biblical moral values to live by. They just cast off restraint. But happy is he who keeps the law. The world is in a credible mess, and we'll be getting to uh, that uh, even worse up to the point of great tribulation, as Jesus prophesied. 
because everyone is, many are rejecting the Bible. Why are we experiencing, as we heard in the announcements, such tragedies as the Florida high school shooting this week with 18 school children and adults killed already? And that was only one of 18 school shootings that have taken place already in 2018. Mr. Gerald Weston writes in his upcoming February co-worker letter. I want to quote from that. You'll be getting that co-worker letter next week. Quote, I was standing in line at a quickie store counter the day after the shootings, and several people were talking with the attendant about guns. I spoke up and said that unless we solve the problems of family and morality, we will not see an end to this kind of violence. One of the ladies responded, thank you. I'm a school teacher and know exactly what you're saying. I see it in my classroom every day, she said. Mr. Weston continues in the coworker letter. School teachers are on the front line. They see the effect of broken homes on society and families are breaking down on a massive scale. Let's turn to Matthew, the 24th chapter. Our Western world is not solving the problems of family and morality. And apparently Mr. Weston registered a, a note of harmony with the, that people in the counter line there at the store. Matthew, the 24th chapter, and verse 12. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will wax cold. When you don't have revelation or you're not living by that revelation, the, the love of many will wax cold. Again, what would the world be like without the Holy Bible? Well, I think you know the answer. I won't turn there, but first, Second Timothy, the third chapter. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. And he mentions all of the lawless deeds and carnal characteristics of human beings in this latter time. But he said dangerous times, perilous times are coming. President Ronald Reagan spoke at an ecumenical prayer breakfast in Dallas, Texas in August of 1984. He gave this warning. Without God, there is no virtue because there's no prompting of the conscience. Without God, there is a coarsening of the society. And without God, democracy will not and cannot long endure. If we ever forget that we're one nation under God, then we will be a nation gone under. If we ever forget that we're one nation under God, then we will be a nation gone under. That's from the American Patriots Bible, page 1338. But our nation is forgetting God, and we are going to go under. What have others commented about the Bible? The Bible and famous Americans, also from the Americans' uh, Patriots Bible, Helen Keller, a writer and social reformer. Quote, unless we form the habit of going to the Bible in bright moments, as well as in trouble, we cannot fully respond to its consolations because we lack equilibrium between light and darkness. Across the page in that same uh, book, 
Patrick Henry, revolutionary leader and orator, quote, the Bible is worth all other books which have ever been printed, end of quote. And most of, some of you, old-timers, have the Halley's Bible Handbook, which had quite a few of the famous quotes about the Bible, including the sixth president of the United States, John Quincy Adams. My wife and I have been able to visit his, uh, his home the, uh, in Braintree, Massachusetts. The first pres- second president, John Adams, and the sixth president of the United States, John Quincy Adams, had homes right there. My grandparents were in Braintree, Massachusetts, so I got to visit those two homes. The sixth president of the United States, John Quincy Adams, said, So great is my veneration for the Bible that the earlier my children begin to read it, the more confident will be my hope that they will prove useful citizens of their country and respectable members of society. I have, for many years, made it a practice to read through the Bible once every year. So John Quincy Adams made it a practice to read the Bible all the way through once every year. George Washington, our first president, made this quotable quote. It is impossible to rightly govern the world without God and the Bible. It is impossible to rightly govern the world without God and the Bible. And God has called us to govern the world as kings and priests under Jesus Christ in the coming kingdom. We need to know our Bible. We need to live by our Bible and internalize God's word. Our Savior gave the solution to the world's problems. Turn back to Deuteronomy, the eighth chapter, Deuteronomy 8. Deuteronomy 8 and verse 1. Moses is rehearsing the history of their 40 years in the wandering before they were to cross over Jordan into the promised land. Deuteronomy 8 verse 1. Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land of the eternal swore to your fathers. And you shall remember that the eternal your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the eternal. So Jesus Christ of course, quoted that in Matthew 4.4 and Luke 4.4, and we saw that in the telecast by Mr. Smith a little while ago. I hope that's internalized as a part of your very eternal character and a part of who you are and what you are, and you have that as a part of your character, that I want to live by every word of God. That would be the solution to the world's problems. Everyone started doing that or strived to do that. Do our people in the Western world own enough Bibles? According to the American Bible Society's report, State of the Bible 2017, 
American households own an average of four Bibles. 13%, however, do not even own one Bible. That's up from 8% in 1991. 10% of those surveyed said they had purchased Bibles in 2016. And 20% lived in households with six or more Bibles. I know I have uh, more than six Bibles in my home and more than six Bibles in my office, so I don't know you've had a Bible count recently. But do people read the Bible? And how many that read the Bible actually understand the Bible? The Pew Research gave this report. About a third of Americans, 35%, Say they read scriptures at least once a week. Maybe that's when they go to Sunday's church. While 45% seldom or never read scripture, according to 2014 data from the Religious Landscape Study. Frequency of reading scripture differs widely among religious groups. Majorities of Jehovah's Witnesses, 88%. Mormons, 77%. Evangelical Protestants, 63% and members of historically black Protestant churches, 61%, say they read the scripture at least once a week. Oh, that's not not very impressive. (laughs) By contrast, and this is surprising to me, 65% of Jews say they seldom or never read scripture. 65% of Jews say they seldom or never read scripture. The 2017, uh, 2017 report found that 16%, about one in six, do read the Bible daily. And that's the American Society's uh, report, State of the Bible uh, 2017. But do you read the Bible every day? Let's turn to Acts 17. Acts 17, you're familiar with this as well. How many of us read the Bible every day? Acts 17 and verse 11. You're familiar with this. Those were far more, or these were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. So the Bereans had an attitude of searching the scriptures. That was, of course, before the New Testament was written. But they searched the scriptures daily. What about the living church of God? We have some good news regarding that. Mr. Jonathan McNair did a living education survey that was reported on our world ahead of February 8, 2018. Out of the 300 that were answered in response to the survey... 110 read the Bible at least 30 minutes a day. So that's good news. Roughly 70 people spend an hour, and the remainder about 15 minutes a day. The results showed, Mr. McNair writes, Mr. Jonathan McNair, the results showed that God's people do want to dig into their Bibles. Whether we have a lot of time in our day or little, Consistent rehearsal of the principles of life found in the Bible will pay off by establishing and maintaining a solid foundation in the way of God. So that was an encouraging survey. We're glad that you are reading the Bible and 
So I've said many times, if you don't, if you let one day go by without praying, you need to repent. And I might say the same thing about the Bible reading. If you let one day go by without reading the Bible, you need to repent. It's our contact and our lifeline with God, the prayer and God speaks to us. We have a hymn by that title, God Speaks to Us. How does he speak to us? Well, through the Bible as one of the methods, and of course through the messages and sermons that God gives in his church. So how many of us here today are consistent in our studying of the Bible? We need to read our Bibles regularly. We need to know our Bible. How well do you know the Bible? And how much should you know about the Bible? We need to study God's Word. We need to live by God's Word. We need to know God's Word. And we need to love God's Word. The title of the sermon today is Know Your Bible. That means the Holy Bible, the Holy Scriptures. Most of us are using the New King James Version or the Authorized King James Version. What do you know about the Bible? This is a book someone gave me some time ago, uh, Know Your Bible? Question mark by Amos R. Wells. 1,500 questions, parentheses, with answers, topical quizzes on all parts of the Bible. The greatest book in the world. How much do you know of it? Test yourself and others. And we might do that more often than we, we uh, maybe are, have habit to. Uh, I know one time, uh, that was back in 2011, we were touring England with Mr. and Mrs. Rod King. And uh, Mr. King was driving and we we're driving along and she said, let's test ourselves in, in various scriptures. So he would uh, ask what uh, if I knew a certain scripture. I would ask him if he knew a certain scripture. It was, it was very, very encouraging. And you might ask yourself and your family and others, just ask one another uh, a question. Now, I must say that one of my relatives some time ago uh, so said, you don't know who the number one country singer is? Oh, I, I was, I was going to say, do you know Matthew 22, verse 32? But anyway, uh, he had his priorities on, on knowing who the great country singers were, but I don't know if he knew his Bible as well. But I just opened this up at random. In connection with what miracle did Jesus Christ say, Labor not for the meat which perishes. Question two, what portion of the Red Sea uh, did Moses and his people cross? What happened to the waters of Marah? Who was David's strongest general? So 1,500 questions. Uh, And it's helped me from time to time. Some of them, of course, are are minor questions and not so vital and important, but it's still stimulating. Turn to John, the first chapter, John 1. What is the Bible? We saw, of course, in the telecast. It is the word of Almighty God. And John, the first chapter, emphasizes who and what the word was and is. John 1 and verse 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. In 
He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Of course, you know the Greek word is logos, the spokesman, the revelatory thought. It is Christ became the came flesh, and be, well, the word became flesh. We find in verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of his only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So the word of God was Jesus Christ, and he became flesh and dwelt among us. The Bible is the written word of God. Christ was the spiritual word of God. We thank God that we can be friends of the word of God, We'll turn over to John, the 15th chapter, John 15. John 1 reveals that the word of God became flesh, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And we live by the first commandment of loving God and the second commandment of loving our neighbors as ourselves. John, the 15th chapter, starting in verse 9. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. It's so simple, plain, and straightforward, and yet the Protestant world basically rejects that. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you, that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that a man, than one, than, than this, than to lay down one's life for the friends. You are my friends. Are you a friend of the Savior of the world? You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. I'd like to encourage you to think of the Bible as your friend. How well are you familiar with the Bible? Is it that close to you? Have you ever considered that the Bible can be your friend? Jesus Christ said, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. How can we love the word of God, the Bible? How can we even consider the Bible a close friend? Well, in today's sermon, we'll briefly discuss our need to know the Bible, a brief report on the widespread ignorance of the Bible, Proofs of the Bible, and seven keys for knowing your Bible. Now, some of it will repeat what we saw on the telecast uh, by Mr. Smith, but if you'll turn to 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15. Be diligent. To present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, the King James says study, but that doesn't mean to research, and that word was an old King James word meaning to be diligent and to, to work at your, at your responsibilities. But it does make it very plain here that we are to rightly divide the word of truth, so we need to know the Bible, study the Bible, that we can do just that. 
We heard in this, the telecast also verse 16, and by the way, uh, it was not just coincidence. I was asked to choose a telecast for this sermon, so just so you know. And uh, the telecast tomorrow is also on the Bible, so you have a Bible weekend of resources uh, to study. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, even for correction. Verse 17, that the man of God may be complete. We hear the expression, I'm, I just, we're not all there. Are you, are you all there? I'm not all there. Because, yes, well, I hope I'm all there. With God's Holy Spirit, we can be complete. And in Christ we can be complete, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. But notice verse 15. He's writing to Timothy, the young evangelist, 2 Timothy 3, verse 15. And that from childhood, yes, from childhood, so all you children read this scripture and know it, that from childhood, you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Now, they didn't have the New Testament, but even with the Old Testament added to the faith of Christ, he still could have salvation. And certainly Paul preached that, and all the New Testament preached that, and as the various development of the epistles and the various books of the New Testament were written. But he said, you have known the, script, known the Holy Scriptures from childhood. So we need to, again, make sure that we know the Scriptures. Jesus Christ chided the chief priests and scribes. They should have known the Scriptures, but they didn't understand it. Let's turn to Matthew 21 and see how he corrected them. Matthew, the 21st chapter. They actually were misapplying Scripture. And, of course, they took tradition above the commandments of God, that Jesus corrected them in several occasions. Several occasions. Matthew 21, and starting with verse 15. Matthew 21, and... uh, Verse 15, but when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes, have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants? You have perfected praise. Now, they may have read that, but they didn't really get it. They didn't really understand it. There was another occasion later on, verse 42. Have you never read in the scripture the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? That was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. What nation is that? The church of God. The Israel of God. Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. 
And whoever fell falls on this stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls it will grind him to powder. Now when the chief priests and Pharisees heard this parable, he, they perceived that he was speaking of them. But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitudes because they took him for a prophet. So he said, have you never read? You would not, not, you would not want Christ to say that to you, have you never read? John Quincy Adams said he read the Bible, tried to read the Bible through once a year. I'd like to take a survey, not that you read the Bible through once a year. How many of you have ever read through the Bible completely? And you don't have to say you read every every dot and tittle and and, uh, and word. But how many of you feel that you have read the Bible through from Genesis to Revelation or whatever order you did? Uh, the King James version. You see your hands. Okay. Well, it looks hard to see. It looks like about 35%. How many of you have read the New King James? Okay, a lot more hands. Another 35, 40%. Good. Well, it took, I had a reading program in the New King James version. That was probably 20 years ago, or maybe 15 years ago. And I was trying to keep every day. I had the reading program in the back of the Bible. And my intention was to read through it in one year because that was the, the calendar program. But it took me a year and a half, but I still completed the reading of it. And then I decided a couple of years ago to start reading the NRSV, the new Revised Standard Version. And uh, that took me two years to go read through the NRSV. But uh, if you've never read through the Bible, I encourage you to do that. Set it a goal. Uh, maybe maybe uh, take uh, not just a year. If you're zealous, you can do it in a year or even a year and a half or, or two years. So God instructs us to rightly divide the word of truth. And Timothy knew the scriptures from childhood. And Jesus berated the chief priests and scribes when they said they did not really understand and get the application of scripture. But thank God that you and I can understand the Bible. Turn back to Matthew, the 11th chapter, Matthew 11, and verse 25. Matthew 11 and verse 25. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them unto babes. What an awesome gift that God has given us, and that gift is the gift of understanding his holy word. I remember one time when uh, we were having uh, an immersion, I guess it was called, in the so-called New Covenant, and uh, the presenter was saying something along the lines that this really takes a lot of intellectual thought and you got to really take a lot of study. And we were in the science hall at Ambassador College in Pasadena, and I know Gerald Waterhouse was a few rows ahead of me, and he said, <laughs> after the presenter said that, um, Gerald Waterhouse said, well, Jesus said he's revealed it unto babes, and he said it out loud. I think all the others heard it as well. No. The truth is understandable as a proverb. I don't have the reference right now, but to him who has understanding, knowledge is easy. 
That's one of the Proverbs. But God gives that knowledge and understanding. You still have to be diligent to rightly divide the word of truth and to know it. But we thank God that he's revealed this truth unto us as babes. There is, however, widespread ignorance of the Bible, and Dr. Roderick Meredith wrote about that in a Tomorrow's World magazine article, Biblical Ignorance, a Real Problem. It was 2006, September, October, Tomorrow's World magazine. Quote, Gallup says that the high degree of religious tolerance reflects in part, quote, not only a lack of knowledge of other religions, but an ignorance of one's own faith. In some polls, he says, you have Christians saying, yes, Jesus is the only way, and also, yes, there are many paths to God. It's not that Americans don't believe anything. They believe everything, according to the Gallup poll. There's a book, I didn't bring it with me, called Back to the Bible by Wood Crow. He was a professor at a Christian university. And at that university, they would give an entrance exam to the students who are going to take Bible classes because the more they knew about the Bible, they could put them in a an advanced class, or if they knew little, they would be put into a remedial or an introductory Bible class. And he said, we gave them these questions, about 50 questions, and they were about the Bible, basic uh, incidences in the Bible. And we said if, 50, if they got 50% on, on the test, they would pass, and they would be put into a, a regular Bible class. However, out of, what was it? I've got here. Out of 1,100 freshman students, only 45 passed this simple introductory uh, Bible test. And that's, uh, in passing, was only 50%. It was about basic questions about the Bible. But we, of course, must not be ignorant about the Bible. In fact, you might turn there to... First Peter 3, verse 15. I think you know that. First Peter 3, verse 15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you and to do that with meekness and fear. The King James give an answer. And here is more properly a defense. I know sometimes, one time, uh, well, one church I was pastoring many years ago, one of our church members was uh, challenged by uh, someone from another church and about uh, the Bible. And, uh, well, how can that be? And our church member was kind of a little upset and put on the defensive. Well, I said, now look, you, why were you put on the defensive? If you have already proven that the Bible is God's word, it doesn't contradict itself, and you know that you can get the right answer to any question about the Bible, you don't have to be defensive. All you have to say is, well, I'll research that, and I'll get an answer, and I'll come get it back to you. But if you are not, if you haven't solidly proven that the Bible is God's word, that it is historically accurate, that its, by, that its prophecies are true. There are conditional prophecies and unconditional prophecies, and you understand that. 
you can you don't have to feel defense put on the defense so to speak but you can defend the bible and you can get the research and come back with the answer in this case i gave the lady the answer and she was able to tell the critic the correct answer to the criticism but you have to make sure that you know the foundational truths and you know that you know that god's word is true and then you can find the answer to most any question. But one of the most important decisions we need to make in life is to prove that the Bible is the word of God. But what personally proves it to you? We've had that question in my class on introduction to biblical doctrines at Living University. Because we need to personally answer. I know you know the seven Traditional proofs of God's existence, you know, lawgiver, creator, lawgiver, life giver, sustainer, designer, fulfill prophecy, answer prayer. But what proves it to you personally? I know we, I was counseling a, an ambassador student many years ago. She was a daughter of a minister. And, and I said, you know, you, before you're baptized, you really need to prove that the Bible is God's word. She proved that the existence of God, she knew that. But she was struggling with proving the Bible and the traditional proofs of prophecy and applying it in your own life uh, still didn't prove it to her. It's happened that when she was reading through the Ambassador College Bible Correspondence Course on the lessons of the historical accuracy of the Bible. And when she saw that, oh, yes, that was a proof to her. Different proofs. For different people, have a different impact on their lives and a convincing, convincing logic and proof. For her, that was historical accuracy. And so we saw in the telecast today: Can we trust the Bible? By Mr. Wallace Smith, one of the proofs of the Bible is the historical accuracy. He gave the archaeological evidence of real people. They call it real history and real people. Uh, King David and Jezebel and, of course, the Hittites and also Pontius Pilate. Yes, the Bible is always proved to be historically accurate. January 7th, we had the telecast, uh, the Bible fact or fiction, which covered some of the same uh, particular proofs uh, of the Bible. <clears throat> and, of course, Bible fact or fiction uh, gives you many of those uh, historical and archaeological proofs for the veracity of the Bible as well. And on page 24, let me just read that. Uh, <clears throat> Dr. Uh, Douglas Reneo writes, There have been dozens of other remarkable discoveries. The, the, the Merneptah Stela describes an Egyptian pharaoh conquering Israel around 1200 B.C. The black obelisk from Nimrud pictures Israelite King Jehu bowing before Assyrian King Shalmaneser III. An inscription near Jerusalem refers to Joseph, son of Caiaphas. Caiaphas was high priest to Jerusalem at the time of Christ's crucifixion. See Matthew 26.17. An inscribed stone from first century Caesarea reads, Pontius Pilate, the prefect of Judea. Pilate was the Roman governor at the time of Jesus' crucifixion. See Matthew 27, verse 2. 
Such evidence carved in stone supports the conclusion that the Bible writers were recording facts and not fiction. See, the signature of God by Jeffrey and is the Bible true by Scheller. So I hope if you've not uh, read uh, Dr. Woodale's booklet in some time, you might want to review that. In the telecast I gave on January 7th, on the Bible, fact or fiction, I covered some of the same things. The uh, I won't take too much time on that. The fact that the critics said there was no Assyria for many years. Then Henry Layard, Henry uh, Austin, Henry Layard, uh, discovered Nineveh, and I've seen, of course, the artifacts of it in the, the Louvre. Of, Museum in Paris, the Oriental Institute Museum in Chicago, in which actually we're doing a tomorrow a World Tomorrow telecast and uh, did some taping there, as well as well as the uh, British Museum in London. They said there was no Israel. Well, that was covered in that uh, one uh, stela in the Cairo Museum, which I've I've seen. We also taped that for a World Tomorrow television program years ago said, Israel is devastated having no seed. Syria is widowed because of Egypt. And that's also here on page 24 of the booklet. Uh, the other critics was David was a legend that he didn't exist. And yet they found the artifact of the city of Dan in Upper Galilee. It said, a military victory of the king of Damascus over two ancient enemies. One of the fragments identifies a king of Israel. The other was the house of David. So there is overwhelming evidence, as we saw in the telecast, of the historical accuracy of the Bible. He also mentioned, that is in the telecast, fulfilled prophecy. Turn to Isaiah 46, verse 9. Isaiah 46 and verse 9. For thus says the Eternal who created... Oops, sorry, I got the wrong one. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things that are not yet done. Say, my counsel shall stand, I will do all my pleasure. When you read some of the prophecies, and it says, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Once he's spoken it, it's going to happen. Of course, as I mentioned, there are some prophecies that were conditional, like the city of Nineveh, when Jonah told them they were going to be destroyed in 40 days. But they repented. And God, along with his love of giving them freedom from the destruction, of course, Jonah had the wrong attitude, and we had a a good Bible study in our local Charlotte Bible study by Mr. Wallace Smith on the book of uh, Job. The book of Job. Yes, okay. Getting Job and Jonah mixed up here. But anyway, uh, Nineveh was a, a classic example and probably the only example that we have in history of a city, state, or nation that repented of the preaching of a prophet. So we have these evidences of the, the Bible, fulfilled prophecy, and just mention one other, that's the Messianic prophecies. Uh, there are over 100 
prophecies, depending on how you count them, of the first coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. A professor called Peter Stoner examined the possibility. He actually had his class do a probability, a statistical probability, on what would be the probability of a person by chance fulfilling 48 of the Messianic prophecies. The answer was, for it to happen by chance would be 1 in 10, followed by 157 zeros. As someone calculated, that would be like trying to find one specific electron out of all the electrons in all the known universe on the first attempt. You'll find that Peter Stoner's book in uh, Science Speaks. And that was only 48 of the Messianic uh, prophecies, and many more as well. Mr. Smith and his telecast, in addition to the Bible being historically accurate and fulfilled prophecy as a proof for the integrity of the Bible, gave that third proof, which was prove it in your own life. And, of course, that's a challenge that atheists and agnostics would probably reject. So in the time remaining, and good, we have a little time remaining, we'll quickly discuss seven keys to knowing your Bible. Number one, read the Bible daily. As we already mentioned that Timothy knew the scriptures from a childhood, and Jesus challenged the Pharisees, uh, the scribes and priests, of having never read. But we had the encouraging survey here recently that out of 300 and 110 of our brethren read the Bible 30 minutes a day, and 70 were reading the Bible one hour a day. So that's very good encouragement. Years ago when I was uh, working as a transportation engineer in Norfolk, Virginia, I would systematically read. Uh, I would systematically do the Ambassador College Bible Correspondence Course spending a half an hour on, on it every day. And even before that, uh, when I was first introduced to the, the uh, Bible Correspondence Course in Meriden, Connecticut, I had uh, neglected to send in the, the lesson plan or the answer sheet at the end of the first four lessons. And I've got a notice from Pasadena saying, well, uh, you haven't sent in your lesson card. Uh, we may have to drop you from this course. Oh, I took t- two days off from work and finished that uh, first uh, lesson and sent in the lesson card. And, and uh, I finished about 13 lessons before going to Ambassador College. And I knew more, even some, than some of the seniors did at Ambassador College who had not taken those 13 lessons. Of course, there were many more lessons. I, that's as far as I had gotten. Of course, they knew a lot more than I did in many other biblical arenas. But there are those resources that are so much available. How many of you here have completed lesson one through four of Tomorrow's World Bible Study Course? Let me see your hands. Oh, good. Well, it looks like about 89% of you, so excellent. How many of you completed all 24 lessons? Good. All right, that looks like more like about 62%. Very good. So I hope the rest of you will continue that. Of course, you can do that online as well as the hard copy as well. And, of course, the Bible 
study course. This is uh, Lessons 1 through 4. A book for today gives a whole section on Bible study aids. And uh, are we living in the last days? So it's very helpful. Uh, Jerusalem uh, historical overview. So if you've not read this, uh, please make sure you take Lessons 1 through 4. Uh, to begin with. And then uh, Mr. Doug Lindley for Living University Library has put out this uh, library news. Bible study tools and our digital library. And this is amazing what resources are available to us today technologically. And of course there are very hard copies in our Living University Library but uh, some of you are already familiar. I've been using uh, online uh, uh, Bible Gateway for a long time. That has helped me with my sermons and Bible study. And there's Bible Hub, uh, which has access to quite a few commentaries. But there are many more. I don't know if we have this available on our information table out there. Okay, okay we'll make it available in the, in the future. But it gives so many resources uh, for Bible study. And I might, might mention that uh, some are of us old-timers are not so inclined for a digital uh, study. We want the hard copy. And uh, I might just suggest that uh, it may be the Feast of Days of Unleavened Bread that you might use uh, uh, some of your feast tithe to buy some Bible study aids, maybe a Crudence Concordance or um, Unger's uh, Bible Dictionary or something of that nature and study that during the Days of Unleavened Bread. So God has given us a lot of many, many different resources so that we can study. Um, how many of you have a copy of a, one of the six volumes of Basil Wolverton's The Bible Story? Let's see your hands. Okay. Oh, well, that looks like about another 40% of you have that. Uh, just as very encouraging in reading to your children. Uh, it's available. Volume one is available on Amazon.com. For four dollars and one cent, there are fifteen available. Volume two, uh, twenty-two are available at twenty-eight ninety-nine. Now I'm not selling this; I'm just telling you what's available. <laughs> and all six are available on eBay for one hundred and forty-four dollars and thirty-three cents. So, uh, what you may have may be very valuable. But Mr. Wilverton puts the 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 cart, well, say the cartoons, the graphic illustrations, and the story in Common language is just very, very inspiring and very encouraging. So number one, seven keys to know your Bible. Read and study your Bible daily. Number two is obvious. Live by the Bible. We've already discussed that with Deuteronomy 8, verse 3, and Luke 4, and Matthew 4, 4. So most importantly, we need to learn to live by the word of God. It becomes internalized. It becomes a part of our thinking. It becomes a part of our character. We know the commandments of God. We live the commandments of God. We apply them. We apply the Sabbath, the holy days, tithes and offerings. We practice a way of life that becomes a part of us. When I was a transportation engineer in Virginia, actually it was after my Freshman year at Ambassador, I went back to the same engineering job in Norfolk, Virginia. But I commuted from Virginia Beach about 19 miles away, and I took a bus. 
And I had to walk a mile from the Virginia Beach to where my apartment was on a lake. And I was walking back, got close to the apartment where I was living on a lake. And I said, this little boy started throwing stones at me. I said, is he really throwing rocks at me? And yes, I guess he is. And I went over and I, I squeezed his hand and uh, so to drop the stones from his hand. About that time, his father came in a uh, Cadillac Eldorado convertible. Convertible. He's a big guy in uh, Bermuda shorts, hairy legs, and, and stocky. And he said, "Do you touch my boy?" And I said, "Oh, I was, you know, my my football aggressive macho man. I was going to go go uh, get in his face." But I had been reading Proverbs that week, and the Proverbs 15, Proverbs 15 verse one says. A soft answer turns away wrath, but grievous words stir up strife. And while I was just getting it, I said, I'm sorry, sir. He said, oh, don't ever do that again. So God's word, because I had been studying that word, helped me to stay, solve a conflict and a problem. And so anyway, uh, we live by God's word. We internalize it. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You know, Proverbs, uh, Psalm 111, verse 10, a good understanding have all those that do his commandments. And if you'll enter into life, keep the commandments, Matthew 19, 17. So read the statutes and the judgments. We were, I was doing that just before my baptizing tour with Frank McCready and Ninth summer, 1964, we were up in Goebbels, Michigan. And I was reading the statutes, and it had to do with uh, a lost animal in Deuteronomy 22, verses 1 through 4. And uh, there was a stray pony. And so, I, oh, I remember reading about, we got to go ahead, and you, you don't ignore the stray pony. You go out and try to get it and return it to its owner. These are practical statutes in the way of life, then you read them. And when you see these things and apply your own life, you're living by the Bible. We have, of course, in uh, the current Tomorrow's World magazine, uh, Unlocked Bible Mysteries. Uh, the one, of course, telecast we had today was more proof of the Bible. This is more on studying the Bible and gaining knowledge and understanding from it. So this article, Unlock the Bible's Mysteries, is actually the same seven keys you'll see in tomorrow's telecast on the Bible, um, Unlocking the Bible's Mysteries. That's not the title of the one tomorrow. I'll get it here. Um, but there are seven uh, different keys, but they're all in a different order from the magazine and the telecast you'll see tomorrow. It's the same topic and the same subject. So number two, a live by the Bible. Number three, is mark your Bible. Now, I was, uh, when I talked about that in Asheville a couple of weeks ago, uh, had one of our techies there, you know, the Bible, of course, he does all everything electronically. I said, well, well, can you mark your Bible electronically? And so, oh, yes, I can mark my Bible electronically. But, you know, when you mark your Bible, and I'll just see if I can show you a little example here. Well, it may not show up all that much. But when I started going through the book of Galatians, I highlighted in red, a highlighter, the word circumcised, circumcision, 
and it just popped out of the Bible. You probably can't see much on it here, but a little red highlighters in uh, well, this is no Galatians. I'm talking the same thing with Colossians. This is I meant to say Galatians. But you see the little red, circumcised, circumcised, circumcision, circumcision. All of a sudden you realize that what the issue was in Galatians was not doing away with the law of God, but circumcision was the main issue. Our former association said, oh, if you want to understand the new covenant, just read Romans and Galatians. Yes, I've read Romans and Galatians, and Romans tells me, The Apostle Paul said, with my mind, I myself serve the law of God. And he said, the law is spiritual, the law is holy. There in Romans, the seventh chapter. Yes, I read Romans 7 and Romans 8, and it tells me the true new covenant, not the false new covenant that was repromulgated by our former association. So mark your Bible, and I think you'll find that you become familiar with places and locations on the Bible and uh, it becomes more of your friend. Number three, mark your Bible. Number four, memorize Scripture. Oh, I don't like to memorize Scripture. You know the, the three laws of memorization? Number one is repetition. Number two is impression. And number three, I forget. <laughs> number three is association. So those three. But turn to John, the 14th chapter. John 14, I, I think I've tested you before, so I, I won't ask a survey here, but how many of you know your Social Security number? How many know your telephone number? Uh, that's not so difficult to memorize some things if you're motivated. Here in John, the 14th chapter, and uh, you can claim this promise. John 14:26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. I claim that promise regularly and ask God to help me to remember what he's been teaching me. When I was in Sunday school as a boy, I was probably eight or nine years old, I memorized Psalm 1, Psalm 23, and Psalm 100. And so now... Seventy years later, I still remember them. So we have other examples here in our local congregation. And I I know some people have different gifts, and uh, we don't all have that same gift. But it takes work and effort to memorize. Mr. Mike D. Simone memorized the whole book of James the book of Jude, the first three chapters of Deuteronomy, and the first three chapters of Proverbs. If any of you uh, have matched that or surpassed that, let me know. He did say that he can't do that now, but he did do it at one time to be able to do all that. It takes mental effort, and it takes focus, it takes dedication. You know, the Muslims... Many of them memorized the whole Quran, and that's 6,236 verses. And they spend three to six years memorizing the whole Quran. So I think we can memorize a few scripture verses and references that are very important and significant in our lives. 
the Word of God has got to be internalized. Memorization kind of has the implication a temporary knowing, but no, you need to internalize it, though it becomes a part of your eternal character. You know it. Some things you don't forget. But God still says, remember, many times in the, in the Scripture. Turn to Hebrews 8 and verse 10. Hebrews 8. Hebrews 8, of course, is about the new, new covenant. Yeah. And what does God promise about the new covenant? Starting with verse 10. Hebrews 8, verse 10. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Well, those who have the false New Covenant idea, this is kind of mystical. You don't even have to read or comprehend the sentence or understand the commandments. It's just kind of a mystical thing. No, you need to know what the first commandment is, and the second, the third, and all through all the ten. And even our children at some of the feasts have been able to memorize the Ten Commandments long form. And even to this day, sometimes, I, and even the other night, not every night, but some nights I can't sleep, I'll go through and recite in bed, uh, Exodus 20, verses 1. I am the eternal your God, which have brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. And I keep going through the, the whole Ten Commandments, long form. So he says, I will write them on your heart and mind, but that's with your cooperation. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. So make the word of God a part of your character and a part of your mind. You can do that. It, Deuteronomy 17:18 says he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book. And Deuteronomy 6:6. 6, 6, well, let's turn to that one quickly. Deuteronomy 6:6. 6, 6. When my wife and I moved from uh, Akron, Ohio, in 1965 to Cincinnati, uh, we moved into the uh, pastor's home that I was replacing. He was being transferred up to Canada, and he had a three-bedroom home. We had no furniture at all, but uh, thankfully someone left a bed there and, and a dresser. Uh, but looking through the house in the cupboards are all these little scripture cards. And it was uh, one I, I remember was uh, Paul saying, I cease not warning you day and night for two years. And you open up another cupboard, and there's another scripture card. And uh, so it tells us in Deuteronomy 6, uh, Deuteronomy the 6th chapter and verse 6, And when these words which I command you today shall be in your heart, you shall teach them diligently to your children, shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Verse 9, Deuteronomy 6. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. 
Well, God wants us, of course, to write them on our hearts and minds. More than that, the Jews have their ritual way of doing that, and we don't need to follow that ritual way. But the biofeedback of of writing something out uh, can certainly help you learn. But Christ promises that the Holy Spirit will bring to your remembrance those things that have spoken to you. But I know how that happened because when I was, as a freshman, reading the Bible on my knees and reading through John, the 14th and 15th and 16th chapters, and underlining and marking it, I still remember because in those cases I found there were three, three times in which Jesus said that you, you ask the Father in my name and I will give what, you, what I ask. That's a paraphrase because those three places. But remember, to do God's will, do his work, and memorize scripture. Number five is to know the books of the Bible. Obviously, if you're taking a a driver's license, you need to know the laws of driving, and you have to pass a test uh, to be able to drive the lesson. To get through the Bible, you need to know to, to go through it. And Sometimes we say, well, now turn to the book of Hezekiah. And uh, some brethren will start turning in their Bible because there's no book of Hezekiah. And we just try to test you all. But how many of you can recite all 66 books of the, the Bible in the King James order? Let me see your hands. Oh, not, wow, it's only about 13%. Oh, I hope the rest of you do that. Um, maybe you ought to turn to the book of Hezekiah and then... But when it, I have to find out, you know, when, the, when we're talking to a, a, one of the minor prophets, my, I have to just say it fast. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. And that's the only way I can find it in the Bible, but I've memorized it that way. But I hope that all of you can memorize all, all 66 books in the King James order. But more importantly is the inspired order, which, again, is in the centerfold of the book, The Bible Fact or Fiction. And 6-6 is man's number, but the number of books in the inspired order is what? We will turn to Luke 44, I think 24, Luke 24-44. And you'll see what Jesus talked about the tripartite division of the Old Testament. This was after his resurrection. And he said to them, Luke 24, 44, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which are written in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms concerning me. That's called the tripartite division of the Old Testament, the Torah, the Nevi'im, that is the prophets, and the Ketuvim, the writings. The book of Psalms is the first book of the writing section. So that's why he called it writings. Now, this again gives you the symmetry. It gives you the inspired order of the Bible. As Dr. Meredith has often said, when you have Romans following the book of Acts, it it can be a little misleading. But you have, in the inspired order, you have James following the book of Acts, and it's very plain that you have works with faith, as we heard recently. So I uh, 
when I was a faculty member at Big Sandy, we had a faculty basketball team, and uh, my basketball jersey number was 22. And I was, my office was in the library there in Big Sandy, so I, I found a book, the biblical significance, or the, num- the signif- significance of biblical numbers. I wanted to find out what is the biblical significance of the number 22. And I looked it up and it said, the significance of number 22 is chaos and confusion. <laughs> I said, no way. No <laughs> way. Because why? Because there are 22 books in the inspired order of the Old Testament. There are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, so it's not chaos and confusion. But you have the law of the prophets and the writings, which constitute 22 books because you have Samuel and Kings and making up four books are counted as one. And the minor prophets, the 12 prophets, are counted as one book. So you have, instead of 66, 39, and 27 in the King James Version, you have 22 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament, and it makes up 49, which is 7 times 7, a little different than 66. So again, I encourage you to make sure you look at our, our uh, the Bible Factor Fiction Booklet. Number five, know the books of the Bible. Number six, we'll give it whole sermons on that. Claim God's promises. Second Peter 1, Second Peter, the first chapter. This gives you this organic connection with God. Second Peter 1, verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given us to all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who has called us to glory and virtue. Verse 4. By whom have been given to us, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. The world has got carnal nature, and God has called us to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth that have divine nature, that nature that is exemplified by the Fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So we radiate God's love and God's joy. We partakers, but we have those promises, and we claim those promises. We have sermon, sermon number 972, uh, claim God's promise. It spent a lot more time, but number seven, on knowing your Bible, Appreciate, respect, and honor God's word. Of course, that's Isaiah 66 and verse 2. Isaiah 66 and verse 2. You know it, but have you experienced it? Have you ever humbled yourself before the word of God, knowing that this is coming from the heavenly throne? Isaiah 66, verse 1. Heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build me? And where is the place of my rest? For all those things my hand has made, and all these things exist, says the eternal. But on this one will I look. Who is he going to look to? But on him who is poured of a contrite spirit and trembles at my word. You want to respect and honor and glorify the word of God and live by it. 
President Abraham Lincoln said, I believe the Bible is the best gift God has ever given to man. All the good from the Savior of the world is communicated to us through this book. So be thankful for those who sacrifice their lives to produce the Bible translations in English. John Wycliffe and William Tyndale and others who sacrifice their lives and realize that the Bible gives us the way to life beyond death. It gives us life's real meaning and purpose. It shows the way to harmonious relationships. The Bible teaches how to find true success, fulfillment, and happiness. It reveals the future. Mr. Armstrong, when he was converted, in his chapter, Autobiography, talked about joy in defeat. He wrote, This giving up of the world of friends, associates of everything, was the most bitter pill I ever swallowed. Yet it was the only medicine in all my life that ever brought a healing. For I actually began to realize that I was finding joy beyond words to describe in this total defeat. I had actually found joy in the study of the Bible, in the discovery of new truths heretofore hidden from my consciousness, and in surrendering to God in complete repentance, I found unspeakable joy in accepting Jesus Christ as personal Savior and my present high priest. So do you love the Bible? Do you find joy in the Bible? The Bible is the sword of the Spirit. It tells us in Ephesians 6, Dr. Meredith said, the Bible is the mind of God in print. And that quotable quote I've mentioned before when he said in Big Sandy years ago, saturate your mind with the word of God. The Bible is God's instruction book. And it's going to be the instruction book for every nation and people on the face of the earth in tomorrow's world and God's coming kingdom. He said, sanctify them by their truth. Your word is truth. John 17, 17. We love God's word because it is the truth. Make the Bible your friend. Respect the Bible. Become familiar with it. Appreciate the sacrifices that enable us to have this Bible. We often take for granted that we may have three or four copies of the Bible. Our Western world is increasingly neglecting the Bible's instruction and authority. As the American statesman Daniel Webster gave this warning about our national future, if there is anything in my thoughts or style to commend, the credit is due to my parents for instilling in me an early love of the Scriptures. If we abide by the principles taught in the Bible, our country will go on prospering and to prosper But if we in our posterity neglect its instructions and authority, no man can tell how sudden a catastrophe may overwhelm us and bury all our glory in profound obscurity. From Halley's Bible Handbook, page 18. So thank God that he's given us, the church, the gift of truth and the Holy Scriptures. We need to tremble before that God, before God's word, need to have the Bible is a sword of the Spirit. We need to live by it and thank God, as Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So saturate your mind with the Word of God. Read your Bible daily. 
respect and honor the scriptures. Know your Bible. Strive to live by every word of God so that we can grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. Know your Bible. 